everyone. Thanks for joining us again for Pro Bono Institute's Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm David Lipscomb, Director of Strategic Communications for PBI. The Pro Bono Happy Hour is our new series of podcasts in which we highlight law firm pro bono challenge signatories and law firm pro bono project members. In this edition, PBI Communications Specialist Yvette Crenshaw interviews Becky Troth, pro bono counsel at Sidley Austin. Becky talked to us about her firm's signature projects, balancing various pro bono projects, the firm's pro bono training opportunities, and much more. We were happy to get a chance to speak with Becky because Sidley Austin is the recipient of PBI's 2015 John H. Pickering Award, which will be presented at PBI's annual dinner on November 5th in New York City. For more information about PBI's annual dinner, including details about Sidley Austin's pro bono program, please visit probonoinst.org dinner. We hope you're comfortable wherever you may be, whether that's mid-commute, on your lunch break, or simply working at your desk. And we hope you enjoy the interview. So hi, Becky. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Sure. Now, if you would just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and the pro bono program at Sidley, that would be great. Sure. Uh, I'm the pro bono counsel here in D.C., Sidley has uh, a, a pretty wide range of pro bono opportunities that it offers to all of its attorneys. Um, it, it's, it's kind of a hybrid program, so I'm the only full-time pro bono person, but we have three lawyers in Chicago. Uh, Danny Greenfield does the 1983 cases, and um, Emily and Emily Wexler and Kelly Huggins manage um, three of the firm's four, wide, four firm-wide pro bono projects. So Kelly Huggins, who is now a pro bono counsel in Chicago, uh, has managed the capital litigation project for uh, the 10 years that we've been doing death penalty cases in Alabama. And she also manages the uh, political Asylum and Immigrants' Rights Firmwide Pro Bono Project. Emily Wexler manages the Veterans Benefits Project. Um, she manages it out of Chicago, but we have cases all over the country. We work a lot with um, the National Veterans Legal Services Program and with other veterans organizations uh, in the various cities where we have offices. Kelly Huggins works mainly, we work mainly with the Equal Justice Initiative on the capital litigation cases, and then on the political asylum and immigrants' rights cases, we work with organizations around the country in the various offices, cities in which we have offices. And then Danny Greenfield works on the 1983 prisoners' rights cases, the appointed cases in the federal court in Illinois. And and actually, Danny is full-time as well. Um, So those are the uh, lawyers who manage our pro bono work. Uh, And in addition to the three firm-wide projects I just mentioned, we have our fourth firm-wide project is the Africa-Asia Agricultural Enterprise Program. And that was started by Scott Anderson, who's in our Geneva office. And that's our first global pro bono initiative in which we provide 
services to legal services to growers and producers at the grassroots to allow them to get their products to market in the United States and Europe. So those are the four firm-wide programs. And then each office uh, has relationships with a, a number of legal services organizations organizations in the cities in which we have offices. So there are firm-wide projects, and then there are multiple other projects that aren't, aren't part of the firm-wide project. Okay. Or a firm-wide project. Great. And how do you balance the firm-wide projects with, I guess, the individual lawyer efforts? It, it, I don't think we do anything consciously to try to uh, balance it. Certainly, the the firm supports the firm-wide projects uh, with a lot of um, personnel and, and resources, and we encourage people to participate in those projects. But the the idea of pro bono work or the, the firm's idea of pro bono work is that people should be able to work on projects that interest them and that they're committed to and that they're passionate about. So the firm-wide projects basically offer opportunities to lawyers to work on um, matters that they probably would be, that they would be interested in anyway, and it just offers them the opportunity to do it. Yeah. And we certainly don't have any problem getting people to work on the matters in the firm-wide projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that leaves um, a lot of opportunity outside those projects as well to um, take on matters. If someone wants to bring a matter into the firm, um, they're certainly encouraged to do it. Um, so there's a wide variety. We do almost every kind of pro bono work you can imagine. Oh, great. Okay. And let me ask you how those attorneys are trained. How do you guys, do you guys have a professional development uh, program? How are they, how are they trained? Yes, we do have uh, professional development uh, managers in each of our offices. And I can speak to the the people here in D.C. who have been absolutely wonderful about including pro bono training in their, in their regular courses that they offer to new associates and to and to other lawyers in the in the office. So so when we do landlord tenant training, that's managed in, and we offer it here in the office. Um, our uh, professional development, our training people manage that for me. So they take care of the handouts and they um, set up the speakers and and so it's it's been you know just great to have that sort of support from the firm. So that's when we do that's when we do training here at the firm with our different partners. So here in D.C., we work with uh, the D.C. Bar Pro Bono Center. We work with Legal Aid Society, Bread for the City, Washington Legal Clinic for the Homeless, Children's Law Center, a whole variety of um, local legal services agencies. So, and we often offer um, to so if we have a training here and we invite one of the legal services organizations to to put on a training, we'll often open it up to other firms so that we can maximize uh, the exposure and the and the training to um, as many lawyers in the area as we can. Um, and then we also will support, if our lawyers are interested in a particular type of training, the firm will um, send them to the training if there's an asylum training or another type of training that we haven't offered at the firm lately. We'll will pay for the attorneys to go wherever it's being offered and and make sure that they get the training they need to do for the cases that they're interested in doing. Okay. 
Great. And um, I know that you're the first person to hold the uh, title pro bono counsel at Sidley, but prior to working at Sidley, you've had a, a healthy background in various sectors, including working for the National Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty, as well as working for the Department of Justice. How was that transition for you? I know that you, you also worked at another firm, correct? Right, right. I worked at two other firms. Um, okay. So I started, I clerked for a federal judge here in D.C., which is, of course, great experience. And then I went to uh, O'Melveny and Myers' D.C. office. And uh, when I left there, I went to a small plaintiff's employment discrimination firm and did civil rights cases. Uh, the firm was called Springer and Lang and allowed me to uh, get some background in civil rights, mm -hmm. which then allowed me to uh, go to the Justice Department and work in civil rights appellate for 10 years, which was a great experience being able to go around the country and argue cases in the courts of appeals, uh, affirmative civil rights cases. And it was a great experience to be able to stand up and say, you know, Rebecca Troth for the United States. Um, and then after that, I went and I taught at uh, American University for two years. I taught in their legal writing program at the law school. Okay. And then I went to the National Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty and was their legal director for two and a half years before, before coming to Sidley. Okay. And so I guess kind of working in the various sectors and then transitioning to pro bono counsel at Sidley, was it a hard transition? I mean, I can imagine that you had a lot of experience, so you were knowledgeable of, you know, what's going on out there um, in the legal world. But I guess I'm just wondering how the transition was from maybe the government sector to the law firm world. Well, I think it was it, it was helpful to have been in a in a big firm before and have a sense of how firms operate. Sure. So I think everything I did actually was was sort of great training or great background for what I ended up doing. So I was in a firm and, and understood how firms operate. And I was in a uh, plaintiff's employment discrimination firm. So I got developed some expertise in civil rights, which I was able to develop more at the Department of Justice and also acquire some litigation appellate skills. Mm -hmm. And then going to the um, teaching was very helpful because I, th I think my writing improved significantly uh, <laughs> by teaching and, and, and having to articulate what makes good writing. Yeah. And that sort of experience is very helpful in terms of supervising young associates on pro bono projects and sometimes reviewing their work if, uh, if the p supervising partner is, is not available. Uh, and then going to the National Law Center gave me a background in legal services organizations and, and what they face in terms of trying to get pro bono help and um, what they face financially and what their needs are. So I think all of this was great background for, for doing what I'm doing now. Okay. And what advice would you give to someone maybe facing a similar challenge, or not really a challenge for you because you had a a, a great background, um, but maybe someone who who hasn't experienced uh, working in different sectors and they're just moving up in their firm and taking on a pro bono uh, position? Would you have any? Do you have any advice for someone transitioning? Well, well um, if if that's what 
you're interested in doing, then I would think that getting um, background in different kinds of pro bono cases would be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a number of, of my colleagues started out in their firms as associates or in a regular associate partner track and then ended up as pro bono counsel. And, and you know, I'm not sure exactly what their backgrounds were, but I would assume it would be helpful to get to know the the pro bono, the legal services community. So participating in organizations like PBI and in um, the Washington Council of Lawyers uh, and the D.C. Bar Pro Bono Center, getting to know your colleagues and other firms who have interest in in public interest, I, I think is really helpful for becoming part of that community and understanding how it works and and forming partnerships so that uh, when you want to work on a project or when you take on a new project, it's it's very helpful to have colleagues and other firms that you can call on to for advice and support. Uh, and in D.C., we have an incredibly supportive pro bono community. We The pro bono council coordinators meet and partners meet once a month, and we discuss the various issues that we're facing. and And it's uh, an incredibly supportive group, and and made my job certainly much easier. and And that's one way, um, it, you know, to become a pro bono counsel and then be part of that group helps you transition from whatever you were doing before to doing pro bono full time. Okay. Um. Now, are the I know, I know you guys meet up, and you like you said, it's kind of like a support group. Do you guys celebrate your attorneys at all? How do you acknowledge them? So, so in D.C., we have uh, the Vince Prada Pro Bono Awards, uh, and um, we started doing that nine years ago when I got to the firm. Vince Prada was an attorney, was a partner who had worked for 14 years on a death penalty case and was very committed to pro bono. And um, a few months after that case ended, he died tragically in a car accident. So the firm had always thought that it wanted to name the pro bono awards after Vince Prada, but I think it took somebody coming to the firm as a full-time pro bono counsel to actually take the time um, to figure out what the pro bono awards would look like. So we decided that the pro bono, we would give pro bono awards to everyone, to all staff and lawyers who devoted at least 60 hours to pro bono in the prior year. And the thought was that we could then honor everyone who made that sort of significant commitment without um, sort of making anyone feel like one project was more important than the other. Mm-hmm. And I think this is particularly important because the Sidley, one thing I'm, I'm very proud of Sidley for is that um, we feel a real responsibility to the community in which we have our office so that we think it's important to support the D.C. Bar Pro Bono Center and do SSI cases and landlord-tenant cases and family law cases, and the cases that um, affect the individuals living in our community, which is a, a, a poor community where there's a lot of where there are a lot of people struggling. Um, and so, our pro bono award ceremony doesn't sort of highlight the you know Supreme Court victories. It honors everyone who has made a commitment to pro bono. And at those, at the pro bono award ceremony, we 
then have um, a speaker come, and we've had some great keynote speakers over the last several years. So we've had Stephen Bright from the Southern Center for Human Rights and Brian Stevenson from the Equal Justice Initiative, and we've had Patty Malay-Fougere from the Washington Legal Clinic for the Homeless and Robin Maher from the ABA Death Penalty Representation Project. And this last summer we had Ron Flagg, who is the former Sidley Pro Bono Firmwide Chair and who's now the general counsel at the Legal Services Corporation, and he gave a, an inspiring uh, keynote address on the importance of access to justice issues and, and, and the work that we do here in D.C. And then one year, um, we actually had a client, Bruce Hewlett, who, is the, who was the general counsel at Merck, mm-hmm. and who basically um, made pro bono an integral part of the of the um, legal department at Merck. And he's, he came to speak at our pro bono award ceremony, which is great because when you have a client talking about the a corporate client talking about the importance of pro bono work, uh, that sometimes has an effect on people who don't normally think about doing pro bono work. Yeah. So uh, we've had um, we so, so our pro bono award ceremonies have really been uh, meaningful, I think, to the people here who do pro bono work, and, and they know how much we appreciate the effort they've ma- they've made. Um, our Chicago office also has a pro bono award ceremony named after Tom Morsh, who's a partner in Chicago, who was a pro bono leader in the Chicago legal community, and they honor those people who have have significant pro bono accomplishments over the last year. And our Los Angeles office does the same thing, uh, honoring those people who've uh, made a significant pro bono contribution. So at least three of our offices have pro bono award ceremonies where we recognize the importance of pro bono. Oh, well, that's wonderful. And this is the perfect segue into... um, PBI's upcoming annual dinner, where you guys will be receiving the 2015 Pickering Award. So congratulations on that. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> We're very excited about it. And it's and it's especially significant to me as a Michigan grad to, that the firm is getting a an award named after John Pickering, who's one of the University of Michigan Law School's most illustrious um, alums or graduates. So um, it's, a, it's a great honor, and, and we're all very excited about it attending the dinner. Yeah, and we're excited too. Um, Now, I know that you guys work on plenty of projects, as you mentioned earlier, but I want to touch a little bit on the capital litigation project. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. This was our first uh, firm-wide pro bono initiative, and uh, I really should, we should have Kelly Huggins on the phone because Kelly manages the program and, and knows more about post-conviction procedure in Alabama than probably most people. Um, so Kelly's managed that program since the beginning. It's about 10 years. And the program started when Robin Maher from the ABA Death Penalty Representation Project came to Chicago and, uh, along with judges from the Seventh Circuit, talked to various law firms about the importance or the the need for representation, uh, the, the need that uh, death penalty uh, prisoners on death row in Alabama have for representation. And uh, John Gallo, who's a partner in Chicago, spearheaded the effort, and uh, the firm decided that we would start off by taking three cases and um, 
representing three clients on death row in Alabama. And the reason Alabama was chosen was um, Alabama puts more people to death per capita than any other state in the United States. And it has uh, a, a pretty flawed death penalty system. Um, there's no there's no public defender, and elected judges can override a jury's recommendation of um, life in prison and and instead impose the a death sentence on on someone that the jury thought should not get the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, so. We thought the situation in Alabama was was pretty compelling, and over the years, we took more and more cases. And at, at this point, we actually have 18 clients on death row in Alabama. Uh, six months ago, we had 20 clients on death row in Alabama, but two of them, uh, one of them actually, um, after we represented him for eight years, um, the, he was released. Uh, after um, uh, the state agreed not to retry him. And so uh, I think he was in prison for 15 years and and then went free in April. And then a couple weeks later, another one of our clients on death row in Alabama uh, had his sentence reduced from uh, capital punishment to life in prison. So in the last six months, uh, we've had two major victories in, in our capital litigation Project and it's it's great because um, it shows the importance of having really good lawyers who care about their clients and and the difference they can make in in um, you know ensuring that justice is actually done. Right now, these are very time intensive and research intensive cases. Are the death penalty cases a hard sell for your firm? Um, n- no, they're not. I mean, I mean, the firm. I wasn't there at the beginning when the when the firm made this commitment, but I think the firm decided early on that this was an important thing for our lawyers to be doing. And uh, once it once it became involved in the project, it really um, committed all the resources that are necessary to do these cases effectively. So we've been spent. We've been sending lawyers down to Alabama. We hire expert expert witnesses, investigators. We go down and and interview witnesses and talk with our clients and and uh, go down for hearings. So the, the the commitment in terms of time and resources uh, is certainly very significant, and I think it's incredibly impressive that the firm has done this. Um, it's not been a hard sell to get lawyers to work on these cases. We have enough lawyers in the firm who are interested in capital punishment, death penalty issues, who really see this as a great opportunity to use their legal skills to help people who otherwise would not be represented. Uh, We represent 10% of the uh, individuals on death row in Alabama. So we're having a big impact, and I think the the lawyers who have worked on these cases have found them... uh, to be very satisfying and and um, and made them feel like they this is why they became lawyers. That's remarkable. Well, Becky, I want to thank you for your time today. We really appreciate you uh, speaking with us today about your pro bono program and learning 
a little bit more about your experience um, in the in the world of pro bono and just um, the legal world as well. So thanks again for joining us, and congratulations again on that award. Well, thanks so much for having me, and and I should thank PBI for all it's done over the years to make um, to make it so much easier for all of us to do pro bono work and all the support that it's provided over the years. Again, that was Becky Troth of Sidley Austin. We thank Becky for spending time with us, and we congratulate Sidley Austin for their exceptional pro bono work. To listen to more podcasts in this series or learn about additional pro bono resources, visit www.probonoinst.org podcasts. If you're interested in having your firm featured on the Pro Bono Happy Hour, please email us at probono at probonoinst.org. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll join us again next week for the Pro Bono Happy Hour.